Welcome to the special episode of the Eclectic Readers Podcast. Today, we're sitting down with authors Alex London and Carmen Rodriguez at the 2019 Nova Teen Book Festival. Welcome to the show. Please introduce yourself and give us a quick pitch of your most recent book. Okay, um, I'll go first. I'm Carmen, and my current book is The Universal Laws of Marco, which is a story about a guy in love with the cosmos and maybe two girls. Mm. I'm Alex London. My, my newest book is Blackwing's Beating, an epic fantasy set in a world of cutthroat falconry <laughs> about a brother and sister on a quest to capture a, a giant mythic eagle that killed their father. That sounds really cool. Yes. <laughs> Both of these like, sound a lot of fun. <laughs> just real quick, I just got back from Ireland, and I went uh, falconing for the first time. Isn't it wild? It was really Just cool. having this, like, dinosaur land like, on your arm? Just, like, sitting there. It, yeah. was, it was pretty cool. These balls of, like, rage and air. <laughs> yes. Just, like, perched on you. It's great. <laughs> so we like to start out with just some fun getting-to-know-you questions. So what is your Hogwarts house and your Patronus, if, if you happen to know? So I told them earlier that I went on Pottermore because I didn't know, and I found out that I'm a Slytherin, and uh, it's a cat, which was really yeah. obvious because I love cats. I, I did a series for Scholastic, and so they made me go on Pottermore and, and take a oh. quiz, and I really <laughs> wanted to be a Slytherin. I'm a Hufflepuff. Hey, wants so to be am a Slytherin. I. Um, so yeah, Hufflepuff, and my Patronus is a dolphin. Well, that's cool. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I wrote a whole series about dolphins, and I learned all the terrible things that dolphins do. <laughs> uh, so it's ironic to me that I am <laughs> with a dolphin. That you are now a dolphin. Yeah. Dolphins are basically like the frat boys of the sea. Oh. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not thrilled with my dolphin patronus. I'm a Hufflepuff <laughs> dolphin. It's just like give me You're a like, unicorn really? poster. Like yeah. I might as well, you know. Like, <sighs> what are the qualities of a Hufflepuff? You're hardworking. You're loyal. You're a good friend. I mean, we are the best house, but we we would never say that because we're also humble. It's true. We are so humble. (laughs) People often notice that about people often confuse Hufflepuff Hufflepuff kindness for weakness, Mm -hmm. and that is a mistake. It's true Um, because we we we, we we're badgers. Yeah, exactly. Our our our, our, not mascot, our symbol, our house symbol. Yeah, yeah, is a badger. Like badgers will mess you up. Mm -hmm. They're not showy about it, like Gryffindors, Um, and we're not scheming like Slytherin, but we will will outlast them all, I believe. Yes. We will be knitting you a scarf in the ruins of your house. (laughs) I mean, that's really kind of you to give us a scarf when our house is ruined. We're thoughtful. We are going to outlast. I ruined your house, but here's your parting gift. (laughs) We would never be the one to ruin your house. We would just outlast your house. Mm. So would I be the one to ruin the house? Yes. Possibly. <laughs> if it met your ambitions. Oh, well. Yeah. I like to think of it as forward thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of understanding what needs to be done in the future mm, yeah. instead of plotting. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, if you could choose any pet, real or imaginary, what would you choose? I feel like I have to say falcon at this point. Just because I mean, that's on brand. I didn't anticipate pretty. dolphin at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Falcon. I'd go with a falcon. Yeah. Actually, a goshawk. Yes. Ooh. That's what I want. So I, like, looked at this question, and I was like, if I had to choose one, I would choose a cat. Because I feel like if I have to choose it, I have to live with it. And I don't True. know if there's a superior pet to a cat. I mean, I love I cats. Mean, dogs. I do Ooh. love dogs. I'm a but dog I will person. say, oh, yes, I love dogs. But the thing that I don't know if I can commit to with a dog is sometimes in the middle of the night, oh. you have to get out of bed, go outside, and walk your dog, and... That, to me, is a little bit of a deal breaker. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. 
I've had cats that wake me up, though. So cats don't always respect sleep either. (laughs) For different reasons. It's a problem. (laughs) So do you have any non-bookish hobbies? Yeah, so I um, I like to doodle things. So I just create, and it's not even original. I like go on Pinterest and I'm like, who has an interesting doodle? And then I get like my pens and paper and I doodle. And then I send those things out as like cards to people. Oh, that's, that's nice. To various people really who nice. may or may not be grateful. No. <laughs> <laughs> they may or may not be grateful. But um, I, I, I have like no hobbies and it's a constant source of angst for me. And Aww. I feel like I need a hobby. And I, I tried doodling. And so I sort of draw, but not with any discipline. Um mm-hmm. And I'm constantly trying to think of, like, what should, I need a hobby. I need to make something. Now I'm thinking I should get into needlepoint because I'm profoundly lazy, and that's a hobby that involves sitting. And I feel like it's a weird one that I could, like, do fun, inappropriate yeah. needlepoint. Oh, yes. I've, I've seen some pretty interesting ones out there. Uh, but I want to – I like the idea of building something. Like, yeah. Woodworking, I feel like, would be a great hobby, but it seems expensive to get into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you need the space and the yeah. tools. Mm-hmm. I, used to, um, I used to do that as a hobby. Like, I would get furniture and, like – redo it. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. But that required like a garage and a bunch of different tools. And then if you're moving around a lot or living in small spaces, it's hard to keep up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, time for the bookish questions. Here we go. <laughs> so I'm so excited about this question. I want to know what book made you become a reader and what book made you become a writer? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thinking about this question because I don't think there was any... Uh, it was like an easy buy-in for me, let's just say, as a reader. Like, I think in kindergarten, I went to kindergarten probably like 1979 or 1980, and they were literally using those books, like, see Jane do this. Mm. And I think, like, from the moment I was like, Jane is doing something, and I know what these words mean, I was a reader. Like, you could hand me anything. Like, I would read cereal boxes, anything that had words on it, I would stop to read. Um, so then I was a reader from that point forward. And then as a, as a writer, I, um, but I do want to add that the books that later, like I loved as a child was, there was a Peanuts book. Um, it was like a big fat, like bound comic book of the, of the, of the Peanuts comic. And I would wake up in the middle of the night or not even go to sleep and I would have like a flashlight and I would just read that from cover to cover and go back again. Um, and then Beverly Clearly, and then uh, Judy Bloom and V.C. Andrews were kind of my younger. Oh my gosh, like, yeah. <laughs> are you laughing about V.C. Andrews? V.C. Andrews, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where you're like hiding in a corner. You're like, nobody needs to know that I'm reading this at like 11. <laughs> so a lot here my mom would not be happy about, uh, which was the same thing with Forever by Judy Bloom. Ooh, like, yeah. I stole my sister's copy at nine. You guys read this? <laughs> It it's is a coming of age, like, like full on, like my sexuality is in full bloom, and I'm yeah. gonna, and I would read this in like a corner of the house, like nobody could see me. <laughs> I'm totally reading this, um, but I think that maybe those are the reasons why reading to me was so important because there was so much information that nobody would really tell you in an honest way, and then the books would tell you the information, yeah. and then as a writer, um, there was no like. There was no book that made me a writer, but my sister wanted to write a poem to a boy. Mm-hmm. And so she wrote it, and I read it, and I was, like, 11. I was like, I can do better. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I sat down, and I wrote a poem, and it was it was better. <laughs> what was it called? I don't even remember. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was, like, about his, like, green eyes. And um, and she she's five years older than me, so she gave it to him, and it, like, worked. Oh. <laughs> wow. And so then I started writing You realized poems. the power of words. Yeah, my poems were so bad. Um, but you know what I wrote? I wrote a poem about gleaming the cube, <gasps> which includes the words, 
gleaming the cube for listeners. We were talking about our love of Christian Slater earlier. Early Christian Slater. And <laughs> this movie, Gleaming the Cube. And I remember sitting in a car in a station, like the old station wagons, mm-hmm. writing this poem that I thought was so great. And like it was like, not knowing anything, Gleaming the Cube. <laughs> uh, gleaming the Cube. <laughs> I wasn't a skateboarder. It made me want to be a skateboarder just so I could be near a young Christian Slater. Yeah. yeah. It was my deep love for... Christian Slater. Uh, so the book that I wasn't really a reader uh, when I was younger, and it was in, uh, but I always had a very active imagination, and I was, I, I was lucky to live in a house filled with books, but I wouldn't read them. I didn't have the patience to sit down and read, and I, I really struggled with, with reading. But I would stare at the pictures or the cover, and I would imagine the stories that I thought the book was about, mm-hmm. and so I was always making up stories. And then I, I realized I could make up stories and tell my friends stories and make them laugh and entertain them, and I love doing that. So I was constantly getting in trouble for distracting my friends and for <laughs> making up stories and for just lying a lot. Yeah, no. And my fifth grade teacher told me that, like, you know, if you write the stories down, you're not a liar, you're a storyteller. Ooh. I love that. <laughs> I love that. So I started writing stories, and they were terrible because I didn't really read, so I didn't really know how to turn mm-hmm. a story into words on a page. And he got, same fifth grade teacher got me to read Brian Jake's Red Wall. The yes. Oh, story. I was obsessed and with And I those. loved it. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't realize that books could be awesome. Yes. Like, this is amazing and gruesome and bloody. And, like, and I loved that. And so I devoured those and I wrote the author a letter. Oh, wow. And he wrote me back. And oh, he wow. encouraged me to keep using my imagination and told me that maybe I could grow up and be a writer. And it was the first time an adult had really taken my imagination seriously as anything more than, like, trouble. And I thought, okay, then that's what I'm going to do. And so I, I went in, thanks to Brian Jakes and Redwall, wanting, wanting to be a, a reader and wanting to be a writer. And I, I fell in love with genre and fantasy and sci-fi from that point on. And then as a, a teenager, right around the time I was discovering a love for Christian Slater, I uh, <laughs> uh, read uh, Ender's Game the mm, summer yeah. before eighth grade. And... You know, in the summer before eighth grade, with puberty starting to hit hard, realizing I, I was having feelings that weren't like the other boys' feelings, and I, I didn't really care about girls, but I very much wanted to, like, be near my boyfriends in a way that seemed really intense. And I was like, this is scary, and I didn't really have the language for it, for what was going on with me. But for some reason, Ender's Game, the relationship between Ender and his friend Bean, I was like, oh, they're romantically in love. That's, that's me. That's what I want. And they're having adventures in space, and they're the heroes, and maybe I get to do that too. Maybe this one little shameful secret isn't the end of my life. Like, maybe I get to, to be a hero. Mm. And that made me want to be a writer and write those kinds of stories. And then I grew up and learned that Orson Scott Card is a vicious, outspoken homophobe. Oh. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he never intended the book to be read that way. I want to write the books I needed and the mm. books I thought I had read. And mm. so I started writing kind of queer-inflected fantasy and yeah. sci-fi to be the books that teen me needed. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Isn't it? It's it's always it's always cool to see how books can transform a life. Like that. Well, that's the yeah, thing with, with a book like Ender's Game with a, with a problematic author. I think the cool thing about books, right, is that there's so much, a good book or a great book is so much smarter than its author. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. at our best, our books are probably smarter yeah. than we are. Mm-hmm. Um, they leave room for the reader right. to yeah. bring what they need. Exactly. Uh, and a lot of times, you, what you, like a lot of times things end up in my book that aren't actually my, quote, intention, mm-hmm. but are tr- a truth inside of me that maybe I'm either coming to or, like, I find sometimes there's truths in my books, um, but because I do try to kind of reflect, then I'm like, oh, that's a lesson that I needed to learn, and that's something that was there that I needed to yeah. see, you know, and find, and it comes out in the work. 
Yeah. Someone asked William Faulkner what he thought about a thing. He's like, I don't know until I write about it. Yeah. Like, tell me what I've written about it, and I'll tell you what I think about it. Um, he learns from his own writing. And I, I think differently when I write. Uh, so, it, it, I, I, yeah, it's, it, you realize things you didn't know you knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what made you want to write in the young adult kind of category of literature? Yeah, for me, that was not really like a, a choice, like a mm-hmm. conscious choice. Like I was like, now I'm going to write a young adult book. I, um, I was invited to go, I was working as a, as a reporter, and I was invited to go to a writing group for the, for the first time outside of college, and I had to bring a story. And so I just sat down and I started writing a story about, um, and this didn't end up in the book, but it was about a girl who had a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of anxiety, uh, kind of hidden anxiety mm-hmm. in high school. You would have never thought, but I was constantly <laughs> anxious, especially in my senior year. Um, and so I started writing about that time, and then I just thought, well, she's an interesting character, and so I kept writing it. And when I was done, I, uh, I sent it to my friend, uh, who was the person who started the group, and I was like, well, and she was like the only published author that I knew. It was Karen Listener. She wrote Carrie Pilby. And I was like, what, well, what do I do with this? Mm. And she was like, well, it looks like you wrote a young adult book, and so you should find an agent who represents young adult literature. Mm. And I was like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, and I hadn't actually read young adult for quite some time, but in reflecting on why I chose to write a story about someone in that age range, I think, I think that, um, I just, I, I have, like, a delay in understanding. Like, I don't fully understand things for, like, 10 years. I think I'm getting a little better with that. But I think I was in my 20s, and mm-hmm. I didn't fully understand my 20s. Yeah. So I didn't think I could. I tried writing a book about a girl in her 20s, and I just couldn't do it. And so then I, but I think I was finally grasping, like, my teen years. And so it made sense when I look back that I was going to write about a time period in my life that I felt I could understand mm-hmm. more. So, my story. I don't remember what the question was. Uh. <laughs> oh, it was why teen? Right, right, right for teens. Um, I was also a reporter, and I was I was working with young people in, in war zones and conflict afflicted areas and, and refugee camps, and I was seeing, and I was documenting sort of their lives, and I was seeing the role that stories mm. were playing in their lives, and how that how young people. First of all, we're having lives all over the world that were as epic as anything in the Iliad. You know, I mean, yeah. they were having epic tales, and that they were the protagonists of their own lives. They weren't just, you know, objects that the world was done to. They were creating their own worlds. And I saw that the meaning stories had that they could survive without comfort, without often without safety, mm-hmm. um, knowing that a future for them was not promised in a lot of these situations. But they could not survive for very long without meaning. Mm-hmm. And stories were how they found meaning. And so I, as I was writing about them, I realized, I, I want to start writing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told my agent, who represented mostly journalists, uh, I went to him and was like, can I write a kid's book? And he went, <laughs> his response was, I don't know, can you? <laughs> I'm like, what? Um, and then I did, and that was 24 books ago. Um, wow. And I realized that, that I, I love writing for this age group because it's the intensity and the immediacy of, like, the first time you experience things. And, you know, you never love a book as much as, as you do when mm. you're a teen. You also never hate a book as much as you do when you're a teen. <laughs> you say Johnny Tremaine to me now, and I still get hives. Mm. Um, and so I love that challenge also as a yeah. writer of, like, okay, I'm going to get that kid's attention. I'm going to write to the, the me that needed that book, and I'm going to get that past version of me hooked on reading. Nice. Though. So yeah, I, I love it. I love writing for teens. It's really fun. That's awesome. 
What genre would you love to write in that you haven't yet? Contemporary. I, I, I sort of have. I wrote a short story for an anthology called The Whole Spiel that's coming out next oh, year. Yeah. Um, and it was my first ever contemporary short story. And it was the hardest thing I've ever written because I was like, there's no dragons, there's yeah. no killer robots. <laughs> like, what do I do next? Just people in a place feeling things. Yeah, like, feelings. Oh, what do feelings. I do? Yeah. Uh, and it was so hard and I had so much fun that I'm like, I've got to write a contemporary novel. So that's sort of my, my next couple of years' dream is to write uh, a contemporary novel. So do you think that contemporary, from a writing perspective, switching over, so it's heavier on the feelings? Is that... It's just different. I think the conflict is different. Like, you know, I can, when I don't know what to do mm-hmm. in a book, I can be like, all right, let's, like, attack them with a giant bird or something, like an ad. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when I read your work, I'm like, he's atta- being attacked by a giant bird. Alex didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but I, so I feel like contemporary, you have to find, you know, you have to, it's, it's, mm-hmm. you have to find the stakes in the, in the small moments. Right. And uh, that's hard for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm in awe of really good contemporary writers because mm-hmm. my brain just goes to, like, the epic and the plot very fast. And, mm-hmm. and my, my, Sci-fi and my fantasy are very infused with feelings and emotions and angst. A lot of angst. So, <laughs> so much angst. So much. Um, but also killer birds and, and things. Uh, and contemporary just seems like to, to, to engage in those subtle, quiet moments that yeah. can be just as epic and life-altering as anything in, in The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. That teenagers in the hallways of their high school are, are on the way to Mordor. It's just as dramatic uh, for them in the moment. And I, I want to... I want to explore capturing that. Oh, I can't wait to read that. Um, I literally said nothing about it. Well, <laughs> you write it. And you write it. And the short. Um, <laughs> I, I would like to... Well, one of the things I don't like is this idea of writing in genre, too. Mm-hmm. So I think that problematically, like, as writers, we're not genre writers, but what happens is we write things and they get marketed and they get put into bookstores and they get categorized. And that's relatively like I was reading, um, I took an adolescent lit class and it was talking about how before like the 1970s, really everything was kind of mixed together. Mm. It was just books. Yeah. It was just books. And so um, from a writing perspective, our imaginations are not tied to one particular area, and but yet oftentimes we develop a readership in that area mm-hmm. and there are expectations that we'll continue performing in that area. Yeah. So for me, I want to write in almost every genre that I can find a story in. Mm-hmm. Um, right now I'm working on something that would probably fall in the middle grade category and um, maybe I think it's magical realism, but maybe it's something beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has a lot of contemporary uh elements to it but there is a lot of just like random magic in it and that's just a story that like I wanted to write and I remember I pitched it to my agent and he was like don't write that (laughs) (laughs) and he told me that like 10 years no no no, 10 like five years ago he was like don't don't and I and then when I finished revisions on Marco which took a long time I just started writing it and it came out very easily And, and so I think for me um being able to have the flexibility to say there's a story in my head and I mm-hmm. want to put it down and I don't want to be constrained by expectations is really important. And I think it's really, as readers, I think we can do a better job mm-hmm. of opening those doors because what happens is we lose stories, right? Because the writer feels like the story won't be received well. Mm-hmm. And I just think of all these potentially great stories kind of flying away um, because of that. My publishers hate it because I write... I mean, I've written just about every kind of story except for, like, a contemporary. Uh, and there's no... 
I don't have a brand, you know. Yeah. They're like, wait, this is a historical. How do we market sci-fi. you? And they're just like, would you stick to one thing? I'm like, no, there's too many stories. Yeah, right. I don't want to be I feel like M.T. Anderson for that. Oh, uh, he is the best. He is. That man is a genius. Read everything he's ever written. Every that feed. Feed is so uh, amazing. So my my first sci-fi novel, I feel like one of the main characters is like the the progeny of Titus from Feed. Like, mm. he could not have existed if Titus and Feed hadn't existed first. And there's just so much, um, like, truth to all the different places he he takes you with all these different characters. There's just, like, the, he wrote this vampire story. Uh, burgers, burger something with about burgers. It was, like, right before vampires became a big thing. Oh, he His timing's always off. He was just before the dystopian thing with Feed. Or is he always Feed. right? And yeah. then... <laughs> he always says, always he's, right. never had, he's never had the sales. That the, like, he's right. always right before or right after a trend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but and then he just writes a nonfiction about Shostakovich, because why not? Yeah, um, it's just amazing. Um, he's so good. So he wrote this hysterical middle grade series called Whales on Stilts that like nobody read, but it was so funny. Oh, it was so funny. Read it. It's great. All right. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could pick a character from another author's book and put them in one of your stories, who would you choose and why? So I'd, I'd, I'd take I'd, Titus from Feed by mm-hmm. M.T. Anderson, would, I think, would, would have a lot of fun in, in Proxy, um, my first sci-fi novel. But I would... I'd, I'd, I think I would love to take like Holden Caulfield and mm. put him <laughs> and put him in the black. He would probably get disemboweled by a giant <laughs> within minutes. He would not survive long. <laughs> and uh, a lot of what's going on in Blackwood's beating, there's a lot of sort of metaphors for the patriarchy. And I think Holden is a great receptacle for that and I'd just love to disembowel him I'd really just to see Holden Caulfield beheaded by a giant bird or have his guts ripped out would be really satisfying for I think a lot of readers <laughs> um. that's pretty aw- I, I like Jane Eyre and put her in something um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I didn't even think to go that far um, I've been listening to Leah on the offbeat and I think that I would put her in like any book <laughs> yeah. um, she's just really I personally relate to her so much, and um, kind of what I'm interested in as having that energy as a character is there's a mix of really, like, I say exactly what I think, and I also don't say exactly what I think. Mm. So it's like a nice mix of I'm, like, vulnerable, but that I'm also guarded, and I just love the way that plays out. And then, I mean, she drops the F-bomb, like, <laughs> I, well, I was listening to her, and I came into the house where I'm staying right now during this weekend, and I dropped the F-bomb like five to ten times in the first 20 minutes. <laughs> and I was just like, thanks, Leah. <laughs> like, now that's just like going to be really hard to like pull back on. Um, but there's something refreshing, too, about that. Um, you know, I feel like so much of like, like there's so much that we, we were trained as adults to be really repressed. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things about this character is that she's just the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And I felt... Simultaneously, I felt less stress as this was all going on as I was like, well, you know. <laughs> Thanks, Leah, embodying her yeah. character. So, yeah, I would drop her into any of my books. Nice. But I maybe think... I would drop her into Jane Eyre. Oh, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oh, yeah. Drop some F-bombs oh, in Jane Eyre. That's exactly what I do. <laughs> and I sort of want to take some of my characters and drop them into, into Leah or into Simon, into the Simonverse, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. Because it's such a wonderful it place. Is. And my characters yeah. have really hard, violent lives. Yeah. And they all deserve love. And yeah. I'm like, I just, I have this one character in Black Wings meeting, Bryson, who just wants to be loved. I feel Aww. like Simon would be a really good person for him to know. like, here's some Oreos. 
And, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Simon and Bram, they could they could just Aww. take care of Bryson and teach him to love himself. But they couldn't come into his universe because they would die. Yeah, that's not good. Bryson would have to go to theirs. Can we drop Simon into like Pride and Prejudice too while we're at it? Oh, why not? No, Simon into Emma. That's where we're going. Oh, okay. Tough era for a gay man. Oh, yeah. But I'm assuming that they. Can we move the books into the modern time and just what? have the story? Well, I, I mean, mean, why not? Why not? I mean, that's why yeah. fan fiction exists. Yeah, so. that's exactly. True. Yeah, and besides, who could not love Simon? Like, right. Yeah. That's yeah. True. <laughs> so, um, what's your eclectic pick? So, that's a book that you love that you don't feel like gets enough attention, or it's just kind of a weird book that you love. Pat, Pat. Oh God, what? Pat. I'm gonna have to look up their last name. I think Schmatz, Lizard Radio. Lizard um, Radio. It is a YA novel. Came out a few years ago, um, and it is a um, post post apocalyptic. Uh, yeah, patch mats. Post apocalyptic gender queer coming of age romp that is just mind blowing. Um, I feel like if it was published today, it would be a huge hit. Yeah. Um, some of the coolest stuff I've seen with, with gender and with dystopia. And more post-apocalyptic than dystopian. Mm. Uh, it is just a wonderful, awesome, weird, weird book uh, that more people should read. Mm. Patch Mats, Lizard Radio. Check it out. <laughs> so um, there's this book which is, came out, I had to look this up when I was prepping. It came out in 1999 and it is called This is Grace Ann's Book. Um, it's by an author named P.L. Whitney and it is about... Um, it is about a little, a young boy, age nine, and his experience over the course of the year observing his family and observing his sister, his older sister, Grace, Sam. And I, it's funny, I was trying to think of like what I remember of the plot. I'm like, small town, struggling family dynamics. Um, the boy somehow gets treated better in the family than the sister. There's like a lot of conflict between the sister and the mother. And then that's all that I remember. Plus... Maybe there's some, like, picking of strawberries for, like, extra work by Gracie Ann. But, um, but more what I remember is just how I felt mm. when I was reading the book. And, like, that feeling after reading that book has never left me. Wow. Like, wow. every time I think of this book, I just remember thinking that it was incredibly sad. So there's no – so I'm going to warn anyone who reads it. It's an incredibly sad book. Um, but it is also so beautiful and so moving – and I was probably a wreck when I finished it. And that has stayed with me for 20 years. Because mm-hmm. I think I read it right around the time that it came out. And I could not recommend it enough. For just that kind of holding yeah. that feeling and taking that feeling with you. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. That is cool. I've written both these down. <laughs> That's the point, right? Yeah, I'm so excited. Keep track. <laughs> so thank you so much for chatting with us today. This has been really fun. Uh, do, we, do we need to talk about Christian Slater one more time, though? Oh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. we can. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Christian Slater is the bookends of our conversation. Apparently. <laughs> Oh, so thank you so much for coming today. And thank you, all you eclectic readers out there, for listening. Check us out on Twitter at Eclectic Read Pod or on Litzy at Eclectic Readers. Listen to past episodes on our website, eclecticreaders.fireside.fm, or subscribe to us in your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. Look for relevant links in our show notes, and let's shelve this until next time. <laughs>